In addition to taking care of one another inside the church, what if we developed a lifestyle of taking care of the most needy outside the walls of the church? How would that change the community and our city? Bob Moffat, president and founder of Harvest Foundation in Phoenix, Arizona, talks with pastors and leaders as they share their testimonials about how sacrificial love by those in the church to those in need outside the church has helped people see and embrace Jesus Christ. It's that demonstration of Jesus' greatest commandment that we'll hear more about today on The Kingdom and Its Stories. Welcome, everybody, on Monday afternoon to The Kingdom and Its Stories. We're so glad that you've joined us by radio, and uh, we're at Faith Talk Radio talking about Jesus' kingdom and how it's lived out in the lives of his people. And with me today, I have the privilege of introducing and interviewing a good friend of mine, Linda Morris. And um, Linda uh, and I have known each other since when, Linda? What what year was that? Uh, 2001. Oh, that sounds too too long ago. It it makes me feel old, which I am. But uh, anyway, it's, it's really good to have you with us today. Linda, um, uh, among many other hats that she wears, is the coordinator for the United States and uh, and works with also the Americas as um, a regional coordinator, which means that she's involved in training uh, pastors and church leaders uh, to help them be able to disciple their people to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Linda, just a little background from you about you. Tell us, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to Jesus. Um, well, I came to the Lord um, a little about forty years ago, and um, during my early years, formative years, I of course fell in love with the Word of God. Um, having been uh, discipled under a leader who had a passion that we not just read the the Bible but understand it. And um, then after three years, uh, my work transferred me to Arizona from St. Louis. And um, I began to uh, serve in the routine church way, but under the leadership of my local pastor, David Eddings, um, and mm, that's the church the, that I—that's the first with Pentecostal church here in Phoenix. First Pentecostal church, yeah, and it's been been here since 1947. Okay, all right, go ahead. But he he has a demeanor that's so much like my uh, first pastor, and that servant leader, love of the word kind of person. So um, anyway, so I served in the usual routine ways that churches do with ushering and singing and all that good stuff. And then um, fast forward a number of years and uh, my job changed and the Lord opened the door for me to be able to work in Arabia on contract. And while there, I happened to see the church uh, come together because uh, you, you're either a Christian or you're not. And so 
uh, all denominations were kind of done away with. And when mm-hmm. we came together to worship, we worshiped as one body. Mm-hmm. And there was no, no denominational divide, no ethnic divide, no class divide. Right. In that, in that, and then I saw also some evidence of a persecuted church and right. how the, the church, the believers, came together to minister to the needs of those who were being persecuted. Mm. Uh, and the church, again, did not differentiate that these are certain kinds of people who are being, dis- uh, being affected by persecution, but all of the church came together to support those who were in trouble. And what, what did uh, th- this was just supporting the believers, or was it? A- no, it was for anyone okay. that was that had a need. Um, so um, that, but that that was just a glimpse for me um, of the church as it should be. Of course, um, the scripture then um, clearly says that we go into all the world. And we we baptize and teach what Jesus taught. So when I re- returned to the states after almost three years, right. I met with my pastor, and I had been uh, it, I had entered the ministry before I left to go to Arabia. But I I met with my pastor, and I just said I just can't do church like I've always done it. And meaning I felt meaning call. what? Well, to do the routine things, to get back in the choir, to serve as an usher again, to totally minister to just those who came inside of the walls. What's wrong with that? <laughs> well, it just didn't. It didn't line up with Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen, and twenty. Okay, um, it says to go out into all the world, and so that just that paradigm shift happened while I was away. And okay, when I came. I realized that that was a missing piece. Okay. And so, um, so, um, and so? Yeah. So I went to work and, and uh, out in my secular job, of course, and um, realized that even that wasn't going to be sufficient for me. Um, I met a young man who had been a missionary, John Stan- Sanborn, who had been a missionary abroad, and, and he and I had a interest because we both had served abroad somewhere. And he mentioned to me that a certain individual who had founded a ministry called Harvest uh, needed an executive assistant. <laughs> and I already had a job, but I said, he said, well, just, uh, you know, get in touch with him, mm-hmm. send your resume. I remember that. Um, uh, you remember that? Yeah, I do. <laughs> and that was the most unusual um job interview I have ever had, but it was the first time that I saw a servant leader interview where the staff was able to evaluate the leader and mm. and share uh, with the applicant um, their heart about that leader and mm. about the ministry and the work. Mm. So I said yes. <laughs> I was delighted that that I was offered the job. And um, so fast forward from there and part of what we did in in that, uh, what I did in that position besides supporting um, Bob 
besides supporting you, the thing that ignited my heart was that we got a chance to test the scripturally based curriculum that was being developed by the staff for the conferences and the the training that was being Mm. done. Mm -hmm. And that just absolutely blew my mind. And I, I realized that we had while we were familiar with all of the scripture, uh, in many cases, we were not applying it properly. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, so that's that's how how all that happened, and and how I really got connected to um, the uh, ministry, the holistic and biblical worldview that was being taught by Harvest. A lot of people talk about holistic ministry. I was in a conference yesterday where we um, where we were using that word. And I, I think a lot of Christians use that word without really understanding what it means. In your own words, Linda, um, in, 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 a, in a short sentence, what does holistic ministry mean? Well, you know, I believe that, that that it means that we take we we take the whole of Scripture, and the whole of of uh, the biblical worldview um, that addresses the whole development of mankind. Right. And mankind is in, is is supposed to develop if we are Christians, especially. Our our model for development is Jesus. Right. And that's found in Scripture, in Luke two fifty two, where he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and favor with man. So, right. in intellect, in physical ways, in um, spiritual ways, which has been the church's focus, but also socially. Mm-hmm. But then, um, as we look at that development, and as Jesus is the uh, author of all things that have been developed, because the Bible says nothing was created without him. Mm-hmm. Um, then we look at everything that's created and see if is, shouldn't that also apply in everything that a Christian sees, everything that we do, uh, everything that our hands find to do. Okay, good. For those of you who just joined us, you've just joined us on um, 1360 Faith Faith Talk Radio, and uh, this is the pro- a program that is called The Kingdom and Its Stories, and we're interviewing Linda Morris today. And so, Linda, tell us, um, uh, you began in an administrative position at Harvest, and then you moved into training. What does that mean? Who do you train? How many people have you trained? What's the scope of that training geographically? Um, wow. Well, actually, the training part, the intentional training part, actually started in 2004 um, when I, a, a group of about six people um, met in my living room at my home just because um, we were hungry to study and a friend of of mine had discovered your newly published book, uh, If Jesus Were Mayor. And um, so he said, hey, I found this book. And and he didn't know that I was connected in any way. (laughs) 
And then we decided, hey, let's get together and study. And as we talked about it, uh, about uh, four other people decided that they wanted to be involved in uh, going through the book as well. Okay. And that's how it started. And there were so many aha moments with regard to even the image of God and, you know, all of the scriptures as it tells us uh, as things develop, as we studied Jesus and his development. There were so many aha moments that um, one of the members of that small group said, hey, I've been infected with the virus of holistic ministry. (laughs) And and uh, truly, it became a passion for us. And then um, I approached our, our pastor who attended a vision casting um, that was hosted by Harvest. And uh, he also found that very practical application of Scripture was exactly what the church should be doing. Mm-hmm. So that began to uh, change how things were done at our church. So that small group developed a seed project, which affected the community around the church. Mm. What was that seed project? The seed project was the transformation of what has typically been a benevolent outreach of the church, which was, you know, giving people food and clothing and furniture. But, uh, that was being changed and had been stopped. And that group, uh, after prayer, um, realized that the the problem had been that the the function of that ministry was not actually helping people to develop. Okay. And so um, that group of uh, folks ha- each had uh, responsibilities in various areas that would ch- would be able to contribute to the transformation of the space that had been previously used. Okay. And so um, that community center that was giving out food and clothing and doing benevolent things was transformed through a process of um, redevelopment and uh, reconstruction even uh, into a community center that offered job training, uh, job opportunities, mm. connecting to jobs, connecting to health care, connecting to food resources as opposed to just giving out food. Okay. And so uh, housing a uh, after-school program, all of that. And that became the seed that has continued to develop over the years into even bigger and better things. Okay, well, that, that that's a story from your own church. How many mm-hmm. leaders and churches have you trained in the, since then? I, I would say, um, as I've, I've shared before, it's really kind of hard for me to say how many because when I speak at uh, various events, there might be 20 to 50 in a smaller group or hundreds in a larger group, and I, I, I'm not sure, except that um, whenever I have done that teaching, uh, that seed has spread to other states. So, Right, so these aren't, these aren't 20 to 100 people from one congregation. They're representatives from many different uh, groups. Yes, yes. It, it it wouldn't be one congregation necessarily, 
although I did do a group uh, earlier this year of uh, 26 from one congregation. Okay. That that is, and then I've done another one. I think I did about twenty for a group in Casa Grande. Um, but the, the I speak at uh, gatherings of churches and and uh, leaders from multiple congregations. Right. right. So, so has your yeah. training been mostly focused in the Arizona area, or have you been training beyond that? Well, I have trained um, nationally as well. Um, okay. And so, no, it hasn't just been Arizona, but it's been wherever I've been invited. Okay. All right. Very interesting, yeah. I think, feature of of the Harvest Ministry is that we don't try to go somewhere. We only respond to those people or groups that invite us to come. And, yes. Uh, so... Uh, Linda, give us some specific examples of of the kinds of ways that you try to encourage churches to disciple their people to reach out and and be literally the hands and feet of Jesus in their homes and their communities. Well, there is a, a part of our training um, is the individual transformation that takes place as we begin to apply the, the, the focus of development as, as Jesus developed. And out of that has come a tool that's called a discipline of love. Mm -hmm. What is that? With, sorry, it's, it's, a, it's a way to address how we live in every context. For instance, we, live, we have a family uh, we 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 go to church, we go to work or school, um, and we we are in, in within ourselves just a person who needs to be developed. So Jesus, if Jesus developed in the four areas that we talked about earlier, and he lived in those kinds of contexts, um, then we do too. And so our prayer is, at least daily, how can I help? And how can I develop? How can I help others develop in the ways that Jesus did in the context wherever I happen to be that okay. day? So um, it's it's both personal development and growth, mm -hmm. but it's exploring how can we help others grow and develop completely in the same areas in which Jesus developed. Is that right? Absolutely, because the scripture uh, encourages us to and tells us, actually commands us to prefer others above ourselves. Okay. So, you know the, but Christians have been doing good stuff right. for years, but we have never intentionally done, I think, good stuff. I think we just accidentally happen into it. Right. I don't think we plan to do good things based on scripture before we go outside of our doors or before we get up in the morning. I don't think we pray about, you know, Lord, show me an area that I need to uh, work in or sh serve in. And what scripture would that uh, uh, answer? What, what scripture uh, supports what 
what I believe I've prayed about what you're telling me to do, what scripture tells me to do this. Right. And, and so it's really a marriage of the word of God and the incarnation of God mm. through the belief. I like that. Yeah, good. Um, sometimes in these interviews, I, 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 I hesitate but want to ask personal questions. And so if you'll allow me, I'd like to ask you, you know, a personal question. And I know sometimes Christians feel like, oh, I'm not sure I want to answer that because uh, it, it, makes, um, it may, might sound like I'm bragging. I'm not asking you to brag, but I'm just, I'm, uh, for the sake of examples and helping those who are listening to get an idea of how other Christians live out their faith, how do you, Linda Morris, what are some stories or some examples of how you have reached out to be the hands and feet of Jesus? What, what, is, what are some of the sto- your stories of the kingdom? Um, I guess I, well, you know, daily there are opportunities. And um, and just recently, actually, since I spoke with you last, um, an opportunity came to reach out um, to someone who has fallen away from the Lord and who who may be, may be homeless on the street. Mm-hmm. And um, of course, we are to to reach the loss, and and the song uh, that Fanny Crosby wrote, uh, "Rescue the Perishing," hmm. came to mind as I was praying about it this morning. And so I realized that personally, at my at my personal at my stage in life now, and at the the fact that. There is a network now of people who have been trained to respond. Um, I reached out to some of those who had been formerly uh, part of my uh, trainings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, they and we are, are now going to go looking for that person that is on the street. Mm-hmm. But that is to not necessarily to, um, you know, make him do something but to see if he if he wants to be rescued hmm. and if he wants to be found because he must take part he must want yes. to and take part in, in his own development right um, and that's one instance um there there are there are those uh, who are during this pandemic who are shut in and not able to uh, be out and about, and there's one uh, person in particular who is in a, a senior housing, and she's she was they were instructed that they couldn't have fresh flowers anymore and things like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of our former participants and her family and I went and. Uh, put potted plants in her in the gravel that they placed around uh, and and changed and and did a little to decorate her her, her patio sitting area mm-hmm. so that, that she would not be isolated and depressed with a, in a colorless environment right so those kind of things 
Yeah. So it, it's not it's not huge things. It's just the little opportunities that God presents each one of us if we care to be aware. Yes. And and, and respond to those. So the intentionality could both be, okay, I'm going to do this particular thing, or it could be, I'm going to be intentionally aware of the areas that God gives us to to express his character, his love yeah. for others. Is, is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, for those who are listening— uh, one of the encouragements that I often give those who are who who are listening or whom whom are in training is think of one thing that you can do today that you wouldn't normally do to demonstrate God's love. Just that one thing. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week for more. Of this, of of more of the kingdom and its stories, we're so glad you joined us. Thank you. Jesus defines discipleship as "Come and follow me." Next Monday at five thirty p.m. on Faith Talk thirteen sixty, we'll hear another testimonial from a leader demonstrating how they and the people of the church are sacrificially loving the needy and beginning to see real change in their community. Today's testimony of God's love not only inspires us, but now we ask God how He wants us to demonstrate His love in a similar way with others in the church towards our neighbors. Also consider sharing the kingdom and its story with others through the media tab at harvestfoundation.org.